Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School and the John F. Kennedy Jr. Forum. My name is Trey Grayson. I'm the director of the Institute of Politics. We're glad to have everybody here. I became the director in 2011, and right around that time, a group of undergraduates started hosting West Wing Wednesdays in the student office here at the IOP. Yeah, some of you have been there and started at the beginning and have been working their way through the show. And for the last, about a year ago, somebody said, hey, we ought to like do a little West Wing reunion thing and have a form about it. And so today, after a lot of work, we'll be able to pull this off. Um, I'm really excited to introduce Lawrence O'Donnell. Y'all probably feel like you know him. You see him on TV, on MSNBC and, and uh, other settings. But he was a writer and executive producer of the West Wing. And we're really glad to have him and Bradley and a couple other folks digitally with us this afternoon. So please join me in welcoming Lawrence. So Brad, the kids are watching an old TV show, it sounds like. We also have Janelle Maloney joining us by Skype from New York City. Hi, Janelle. Uh, we, Hi, guys. We wish, uh, and we're, boy, we are going to get Richard Schiff, who's going to be able to get to us. He's in the makeup trailer right now in San Francisco, and somehow he's going to get on the phone between takes and, and tell you how he discovered the Toby character. Uh, and I, I thought I'd begin uh, with a clip of these two great ones the, and, and show you where these characters met, where Josh and Donna met. And the interesting thing about this clip is it, it is not their first scene in the series. It is in the second season of the series. And it was only then uh, when uh, Aaron Sorkin actually figured, who wrote the, the pilot, it was only then that Aaron actually figured out when they met. And that sometimes happens in writing. And this is an example of that. It's a flashback scene in the second season to when they met when uh, Martin Sheen, Josiah Bartlett, was beginning his campaign for president in New Hampshire. Let's look at that scene. Hi. Hi. Who are you? I'm Donna Moss. Who are you? I'm Josh Lyman. Ah. Yes. I'm your new assistant. Did I have an old assistant? Maybe not. Who are you? I I'm Donna Moss. I came in to volunteer, and the woman assigned me to you. Which woman? Betsy. You mean Margaret? Yes. Who are you? I'm Donna Moss. I'll be working as your assistant. I need to talk to Margaret. Actually, Josh, yeah? when I said I was assigned to you, yeah? I may have been overstating it a little. Who are you? I'm Donna Moss. I drove here from Madison, Wisconsin. When did your boyfriend break up with you? What makes you think my boyfriend broke up with me? Well, you're too old for your parents to have kicked you out of the house. I'm here because I want to work for Bartlett. I'm a college graduate with a degree in political science and government. Where did you graduate? Hmm? Where did you graduate? Okay, but when I said I graduated, yeah? I may have been overstating a little. Look. I, I, I was a couple of credits short. <clears throat> From where? University of Wisconsin. And you majored in political science and government? And uh, sociology and psychology. Uh-huh. And biology for a while with a minor in French. Okay. And uh, drama. You had five majors and two minors in four years? Two years. Okay, listen. I had to drop out. I had to drop out. Your boyfriend was older than you? I think that question's of a personal nature. Donna, you were just at my desk reading my calendar, answering my phone, and hoping I wouldn't notice that I never hired you. Your boyfriend was older? Yes. Law student? Medical student. And the idea was you'd drop out and pay the bills till he's done with his residency? 
Yes. And did you? Yes. Why did Dr. Freeride break up with you? <laughs> what makes you think he broke up with me? Donna, this is a campaign for the presidency, and there's nothing I take more seriously than that. This can't be a place for people to come to find their confidence and start over. Why not? I'm sorry? Why can't it be those things? Because... Well, is it going to interfere with my typing? Donna, we're picking up today and going to South Carolina. If you want to stay in the Manchester office... I want to come to Charleston. I can't carry it, Donna. I got a lot of guys out there not making the trip. I'll pay my own way. With what? I'll sleep on the floor. I'll sell my car. Eventually, you're going to put me on salary. Donna. Look, I think I can be good at this. I think you might find me valuable. For America, Josh Lyman's office. Uh, yes. I think I'm gonna have somebody from the press office get back to you if it relates to. Yes. Uh, yes. 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 She likes her. <laughs> I'm, I'm clapping for Janelle, I'm clapping for Brad, and I'm clapping for Aaron Sorkin, who wrote that scene, who created this series, and I wish he could be here today because none of us would be here today were it not for Aaron. And that was, I think Janelle and Brad can tell you, that was, that was perfect uh, Aaron, that was, that was classic Aaron all the way. Uh, and Janelle, the other thing it is, is it's a lesson about how you get started in politics. You gotta be willing to sell your car and sleep on the floor. Uh, okay. Janelle, when, Janelle when you, met, you met some people who started like that, I'm didn't you? What's that? You, you, you met some people who started like that after you were working on the show and you started to meet people in that field. Yes. In fact, the, the, when we made our first trip to Washington, or at least I made my first trip, um, I met a young woman and uh, she worked in the White House and she had, I think she literally worked in the office next door to the president. and. Um, and she'd been there a month, and she drove her hatchback from Florida and, um, and got a job somehow, I'm not sure. And, and she, she's working, I, she, she worked there when we met her. And Brad, it's also how you get started in show business. You've got to be willing to sell the car and sleep on the floor. <laughs> and your soul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, I it, think the soul for sale in politics too, Brad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny, it reminds me, uh, because people, I'm sure, Janelle, for you too, people come up to me all the time and say the show is how they got interested in politics. And I was at the um, White House Press Corps dinner, uh, which is kind of a dog show in Washington. Uh, and this uh, staffer kid, kind of rumpled kid, came up and said, hey, you're the reason I'm in politics. And I, and I said, oh, thanks, thanks. I really appreciate that. And he said, actually, I'm, I'm broke, I'm exhausted, and I'm never going to kiss Mary Louise Parker. <laughs> <laughs> he was upset. Yeah. Uh, 
So, Janelle, how does it feel to know that there are uh, still people out there watching The West Wing, watching what you did, watching how your career, the character's career, uh, rose from that spot up to real responsibility, and they're looking at that as inspiration for going in uh, to work in government and politics? I, it's, it's so shocking to me. It feels like a lifetime ago. So even when I see that scene, I, I, it's totally new to me. I, I think, what are those young people going to do next? <laughs> but I am, um, but I'm so touched, you know, and I feel so lucky because most things out there now are such, such terrible garbage and it's kind of gotten to the point. It feels really good that at least for that period, we got to participate in something that had value in terms of what it was, what it was talking about. And the fact that it influences anyone positively, um, it's really, it's really sweet. It's very touching to me. Brad, where did you think this show was going? You made the pilot, uh, and so then we all went to work. Uh, Aaron hired some additional writers, me and uh, Rick Cleveland, a bunch of others, and uh, and we started writing episodes. We started shooting them. We, I think we had about five produced before we went on the air. So we were a, 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 at least four to five episodes in before we went on the air, and you don't find out what you have until you go on the air. You either are going to be out of business soon or you're going to be in business for a while. Where did you think this show was going by the time we'd done about three or four of them? Well, it was, it was unnerving because Aaron famously, um, uh, he can't write unless he creates the conditions of sort of having his clothes on fire. Um, <laughs> And I'm going to keep a straight face throughout everything he's about to <laughs> say. Um, but famously, uh, Scott Sassa brought Aaron in to NBC. Uh, they had picked up the show, which when we did the pilot, I think we all thought, this is the kind of thing that's it's too good to get picked up. Um, you, you would watch it, but who else would watch right. it? Right. Um, and Scott Sassa said, so we're picking it up. We're just, we want to know what, what you have in mind for you know, the season, what sort of arcs you have. And Aaron famously said, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know I, I, have, I have no idea. I mean, that might have been it. Uh, Which is what he said the first day the writer's room was convened also. Right, yeah. right. Uh, so that created, um, that created the sense that you, Aaron really did not know where it was going to go. Aaron had never, he'd done a couple of years on sports night, but he'd never really done a long run of a show. Right. And it's one of the exciting things about um, doing a long, uh, uh, a show that goes on and on as you discover. I mean, I, there was some episode where uh, didn't my sister die in a fire or something? I mean, I, you know, I certainly wasn't playing. I have nothing in the to pilot. do with that. Uh, Ask you, the people yeah, in the yeah. audience. Yeah. They know. Right. That's right. Uh, I, you know, I've been given the signal that we he's here. Well, he's here in spirit, but he's actually also on the phone. I, okay. If I say Richard Schiff, can you hear me? Let's see if there's an answer. Uh, yeah. I oh, hear you. yes. Oh, the the glory of telecommunications. Uh, yeah. Can we get some guys over from MIT to figure out a better connection? This is, you know what? They're all getting your jokes. 
so it's working. They, they hear you. Uh, Richard, here's what I'd like to do. I would like to uh, show a scene of you with Martin Sheen, which I actually think goes to something Brad just said, which is when we kind of started writing the show, we really weren't sure what we had. But I think there's a scene uh, on, in episode five uh, that, that you did with, with Martin that gets down to what the essence of the show really was. And this is what we were ultimately really trying to do with the series. And I think it's, I know it's what Aaron was trying to do all along, whether he could articulate it to executives or not. So that is, uh, that's scene number three. If we can hit that scene and show that now, that would be great. So I guess we haven't been getting along too well lately, have we, sir? No, I guess not. I've been irritating you. Yes. Was David Rosen your first choice for my job? Yes. Well, I'm glad we had this little talk, sir. <laughs> I feel a lot better. Thank you, sir. We were up all night on that one, Toby. Me and Leo and Josh. They were screaming at me, Governor, for God's sakes, it's got to be Toby. It's got to be Toby. But I held my ground, and we went to David Rosen, and Rosen said he wanted to take a partnership with Solomon Brothers. Thank God. I couldn't live without you, Toby. I mean it. I'd be in the tall grass. I'd be in the weeds. I know I disappoint you sometimes. I mean, I can sense your disappointment. And I only get mad because I know you're right a lot of the times. But you are not the kid in the class with his hand up and whatever it was you said to CJ. You are a wise and brilliant man, Toby. The other night when we were playing basketball, did you mean what you said? My demons were shouting down the better angels in my brain. Yes, sir, I did. You think that's what's stopping me from greatness? Yes. I suppose you're right. Tell you what, though, sir. In a battle between a president's demons and his better angels. For the first time in a long while, I think we might just have ourselves a fair fight. Thank you, Toby. Now go away. <laughs> Richard, I think that last line that Aaron gave you uh, was the essence of the show. Repeat it, repeat it for me. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, it's when you it's when you say to to Martin that in the battle between his demons and his better angels, uh, you think we finally have a fair fight. There's a president who's actually having a fair fight there. Um, yeah, and I think the key line, but now that I'm thinking about it for the first time, um, uh, in that scene that kind of defines Aaron and I think what what everything that we did was um, uh, when he asked me, are are the better are our better angels, are our demons shouting down the better angels? Um, and that's the theme, I think, for Aaron, and I think it's the theme for the, uh, for the show, that, um, that these very flawed people uh, were trying to do mythic, heroic work. 
and um, whether our better sides can win out over our demons, I think, is, uh, is very much a part of what he was doing. You know, Brad, when I was looking at clips to bring here today, and I found that one, uh, I heard that line and those lines as I'd never heard them before. Because when you're in that, that crush of doing 22 episodes, uh, the way I was either writing this or consuming this material was literally line by line. It was just, okay, that, that's a good line. Or in the room when you guys would do the read, oh, that line works. Uh, the significance of lines never quite landed on me the way I think they, they did on the audience. Uh, uh, yeah, it is, it's shocked me. I, you know, I, I have not gone back and watched, um, and I missed a big bunch of them because mm -hmm. I knew how it was going to end. Uh, <laughs> and I think uh, we all have reservations about watching ourselves act. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, there was certainly, there was an incredibly hot period, uh, I thought, for Aaron, uh, certainly in the, in the second year where we were just getting two cathedrals. Remember that read-through? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Um, that was the where, season finale of season two. It, it, it was an output of, of complex writing that I mm -hmm. have never seen uh, anybody, anybody do. I mean, we were getting what would be these spectacular plays, um, you know, every two weeks. It was, it was astonishing. Mm -hmm. uh, Richard, I, I asked a question uh, earlier of Brad about before we got the show on the air, once we'd, we'd produced about four of them before we went and got feedback from an audience, where did you think this show was going? Did you have a feeling you were going to be working there a long time or that you'd be looking for work pretty soon? Uh, I, you know, when I, when I was, when I read the pilot, I, I, and I, apparently I was alone in this, but I thought this show is going to last two terms. I had no doubt about it. I had no doubt in my mind. I didn't know of what level of success. I didn't know if it was going to be a top 10 show or, or somewhere in the middle of the pack, but I just put, I just figured it would last eight years. I didn't know that we were starting in the middle of our second year. So as it turned out, it lasted seven years, uh, the full two terms. But I wasn't keeping track once we once we once we aired of how successful we were. I was shocked at the end of the season when I went up back out into the world how many people were affected uh, as deeply as they were and how much of a success we were. I had no idea at the end of the year that we were that successful. Uh, Janelle, you know you know that you are a legend in Hollywood casting for because of the West Wing and. Uh, and that's because you, you were in the pilot in what was a very small part in the pilot, just a couple of lines. It's very small. Well, okay. <laughs> All right, but it was not a recurring character. It was petite. Right. It was, it was petite, a, but it had all its parts. It, it was, was not really a... Not a series regular deal and all that stuff. And what, what happened was the, the writers saw the pilot, saw your performance. Aaron loved your performance. And we, Aaron, and we kept writing to you, handing you more and more, so that when we got to the end of the first season, it turned out you were in every episode. And it was time for a, a big promotion. Uh, and I want to show a scene now uh, that, that shows how this relationship that you all just saw begin in New Hampshire, how it evolved in the White House. Uh, this is scene two. Let's take a look at that.
What do you mean we're not on Meet the Press? No, 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 no. Call him back. Talk to Elise Bain. Tell her they're not bumping us for Ricky Rafferty. Hang up. Tell her the congressman is available tomorrow only. Rafferty can wait. Hang up, Just now. keep your pants on. Call me back. I'm gonna put a hit out on Ricky Rafferty. I need to talk to you, not with a million people around. Is our relationship about to change? Rafferty put out the full text of the health plan. Annabeth had a copy. Look at page three. Obliterate the money laundering middleman between you and your doctor. Why didn't every article lead with this? It wasn't in the first speech. They released the whole plan today. Guarantees them another three days of coverage. Look how it's structured. It's structured like Jed Bartlett structured it before we forced him to cut it out of his plan. Rafferty's got to have someone who worked on the president's first health care initiative. That was you, Toby, Sam, Melanie, Ken. You missed one. No. Who did I miss? The president. Uh, so, so the way here, uh, this is something I, uh, a lot of people in LA know, but in, in casting directors now will say to people in a pilot or in an episode of TV when they're trying to get them to do this one-time part, you know, a few pages, uh, I can't call it a small part because Janelle's here. When they're trying to get them to do that part, they will say to them, and, and, and the actor might think, no, 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 I want something bigger. They'll say to them, this is the Janelle Maloney part. This is the Janelle Maloney part. It's go and what they mean is it's going to become what you just saw, big, series regular, Emmy nominated. Uh, Janelle, what was that ride like going from uh, you don't know whether you're in next week's episode to uh, uh, coming up uh, into the regular cast? Um, well, I knew from the very, very beginning, because the first day of the first show, I was, I was one of the actors, I think I did the, one of the first scenes on the first day with John Spencer, um, and he said to me, I, we did one little scene, and he said to me, kid, you are going to be here till the curtain comes down. And, you know, I, I felt like they were going to have to work very hard to get rid of me. <laughs> and, and I really wanted to stay. And, 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 and I, so I, I really was very dedicated. Every line I had, every, everything to just shining as much as I, I could. And Brad helped me a lot because there was a lot of pressure on me to, to not do that because, you know, you're, no one's really inviting you to, to do that, and I sort of invited myself. And um, so it was very gratifying, but I really felt like, I really felt like I was part of the regular main important cast, because maybe I'm crazy, but I did from the very beginning. I really, really did. So it felt very natural um, to be a part of it, but, you know, looking back also, it just was such a heady, so exciting, um, and so much fun. But it was, to me, it was, it was just as fun the third day of shooting as it was the last day of shooting. We just had a really wonderful, wonderful time. And uh, go ahead, Brett. You know, I was going to say, uh, I think it's really uh, uh, an important part of what makes Aaron uh, or a lot of great writers on television great is that they are able to, to see the actors and then write towards them and exploit them, uh, pick up on the, on the actor and what they can do, so that they're yeah. not really imposing on it. I mean, 
very strongly. Uh, he's, I, I think that certainly happened with Richard. I feel like it happened with me. I feel like all of us. Uh, it happened uh, with all of us, with John Spencer. There, there's this ability to... Also, Aaron really loves actors. Um, uh, some writers, David Mamet, don't. <laughs> <laughs> Richard, I think <laughs> let's, let's, let's get Richard in on that. Richard? Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Uh, the, the, the way... Uh, I'm, just, I'm just looking at the website. Uh, we're visiting the West Wing and notice that I'm not credited. So I just <laughs> wanted to... Uh, I just wanted to... Uh, now, now my West Wing days are really coming back. All right. All right. Uh, Richard, uh, talk, talk about... Talk about the way this writing uh, unfolded to you as you saw your character unfolding week to week in these scripts. Well, I, I, you know, Brad said it very, very well uh, that, that Aaron does, uh, adores actors. And um, uh, I, I had a, a, a really wonderful um, relationship with him in terms of give and take and um, finding what was right for, for Toby. And, uh, you know, people don't know this, but... Uh, the other actor that was down to the wire for that part, which I didn't know until a few years later, he came up to me and said he, he heard my test audition at the network, and um, he thought that after it was over, uh, he was listening at the door that he got the part hands down because he couldn't hear me speak. <laughs> uh, and that, that actor turned out to be Eugene Levy. Now, Eugene Levy is obviously a brilliant comic actor and would have been a fantastic Toby, I think, but obviously completely different than the path that I took with him. And I think that's a credit to Aaron that he was able to go with the instincts of the actor. And, and um, you know, for me, I looked at the ensemble and I looked at the comedy that he was writing and I looked at um, the group and the, uh, the music that we were playing. And in my mind, I kind of thought, you know, we need a bassoon. We need, we need a kind of a deeper tone in there somewhere. And I, I kind of went darker with that character, and it happened to be, you know, uh, uh, parallel to stuff that was going on in my life. And uh, we kind of forged uh, a character out of all those, you know, out of that. And that Aaron, Aaron kept playing to that, and I kept playing to that. I think it was a, uh, a credit to how he works with actors. Brad... Is, is, is generally funny and positive and optimistic, and, um, and I think Josh became, you know, uh, more like that. You know what I mean? Well, let's take, let's take a look at that, that dark and hard-to-hear Toby Ziegler. Let's uh, get ready in, to in, mumble! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this, this is... Brad, uh, how long have you been waiting to say that? <laughs> yeah, let's you, you see. thought of that on the flight ride, Apparently that's about joke 12 years. 15 years waiting to yes. happen. <laughs> uh, this is, this is, Richard, this is another scene of Toby with the president. It's, it's in the first season. Uh, it's an episode that Aaron and I wrote about the death penalty. And I remember pitching this to Aaron because I knew there was some federal death penalty cases. There was one in particular that was ripening to the point where there might be that White House moment for the first time since the 60s where it's one minute to midnight and it's up to the president whether this person is, this federal prisoner is executed or not. And I wanted the show to get there before it happened in real life and then it ended up not happening in real life. But, uh, but it was great because I, I, when I pitched it to Aaron, I said, here's the thing, you know, 
And uh, I did a real quick version, uh, maybe 10 seconds longer than I just did. And he said, he, he jumped in before I said what, what he then said for me. He said, yeah, okay, great, but we've got to kill the guy, uh, which I loved because I am a, a permanent opponent to the death penalty in its every form, in every case. Uh, Aaron's against the death penalty too. And what interested us as writers, as dramatists, was how does an honorable man make a decision in this arena that we disagree with. And Aaron took it in a brilliant direction where I would not, which included a lot of religion. Uh, and, and, and Toby's character ends up uh, going to temple and hearing something from his rabbi about it. And, and, and Toby goes into the Oval Office uh, at the last minute hoping to change what's going to happen here. Uh, and let's take a look at that scene. Good afternoon, sir. Welcome back. Thank you. How was your trip? Fine. What do you need? I had a strange experience this weekend. One of the PDs on the cruise case, I guess, trying the things you do when you're desperate. He went and spoke to my rabbi. Jewish law doesn't prohibit it. The commandment does not say thou shalt not kill. It says thou shalt not murder. I know. But the fact is that even 2,000 years ago, the rabbis of the Talmud couldn't stomach it. I mean, they weren't about to rewrite the Torah, but they came up with another way. They came up with legal restrictions which make our criminal justice system look. They made it impossible for the state to punish someone by killing them. We make it very hard to kill anybody in this country, Toby. It should be impossible. But it's not. But it should be. Hey. Hey, what's going on? Toby went to shul. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. President. Richard, you were the rabbi of the West Wing. Uh, so, so I, so I heard. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that was uh, that was a really important episode. I remember um, two things about that episode. Uh, one was uh, Carl Malvin came in to speak uh, as the okay. priest to uh, to Martin in the scene in, uh, to the president in the scene in the Oval Office, and I happened to be around. And I, I said hello to Carl Malden, who, of course, is a great hero of all of ours. And he was holding this little Bible, um, which his character was going to use in that scene. I went, I, and I said to him, man, that's an old-looking Bible. He said, you know where this Bible's from? And I said, no. He said, on the waterfront. Wow. It was the same Bible he used when he shot on the waterfront with Marlon Brando and Celia Kazan. And I just thought, that's a nice little tidbit of history. But the other thing was, I remember there was a scene that I was watching, uh, sitting along with Tommy, with, uh, with, with Dulé, with Charlie. And I think Char Charlie was a relatively new character as well, wasn't he, at that point? Yes, yeah. he was, yeah. And he had, uh, and, and, you know, Charlie's mother had been, was a cop who had been uh, murdered. And the president asked uh, Charlie at one point, would, you know, if you had a chance, would you get even? With your uh, with your mother's murderer, and he said, "If I had the chance, I'd kill him," or something like that. 
And then there was a follow-up line, which you said, but then again, you know, I don't have that right or something like that. And I begged Aaron and Tommy to lose that second line and to leave with the audience uh, that, that, that Charlie's carrying revenge in his heart. That's stronger than any other rational thing. I just thought it made the character more interesting, and it also made the debate more interesting. And, and it goes along the lines of what you're saying, that, that the president not saving the guy at the end was, was so important in the telling of that story to, to make it truthful and to make it more powerful. Yeah, it, uh, it, for, for me, it, it, at that point in the show anyway, my political opinions didn't interest me at all. I was always interested in exploring others. Later in the, in the later years of the show, I started to write scenes that actually were my view. Uh, but Brad, what about your politics in the show? Did, did, you, uh, did, did you feel, oh, okay, this is good because this is basically representing my politics, or did it matter to you as an actor? Um, it's funny because people always say, could you, could you do this show about a Republican administration? And my joke answer is always uh, no, because Republicans aren't funny and watching them, watching them flirt makes you queasy. <laughs> I think uh, there might be a comment about that there, later. There might be a comment about that later. But the real reason is, um, uh, there was something about uh, having people who work in the White House who don't believe in government. I, you know, you couldn't have the music swell at the end. We'd be high-fiving each other, saying, you know, we got rid of food stamps. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're drilling on protected land. I, uh, I don't think it would have worked. I, I totally agreed with the politics on this show, and I totally agreed with what I felt was Josh's kind of pragmatic, you know, how dirty do your feet have to get before you disappear in the mud in order to get an inch of what you want done? I thought that was like a heroic political ground game. And it always drives me nuts on the left because I feel like on the left, we want a savior mm -hmm. to give us everything. Uh, I think we've done enough here to stimulate some questions. <laughs> the, the microphones are open for questions. I'm going to show you one more scene because it's relevant to what Brad just said. It's the last clip we'll show because I want to open it up to discussion now uh, to anyone you want to ask questions of or make comments about. Oh, I guess the rule is you must ask a question, right? There has to be, Brad, this is great. There has to be a question mark at the end of at what the they end say. Of it. It's not like one of those things where they just can get up where and they make can speeches. Just say we don't but like But I want to I want to show you a scene. Brad Brad's joke about you couldn't do this for a Republican. One of the secret truths of the West Wing writers room is that we were planning the possibility of writing the show for a Republican president in the seventh season of the show when Alan Alda was running for president as the Republican candidate. And we'd actually come pretty close to the decision that that is what we were going to do if we chose to continue the show into an eighth season, uh, which ultimately we didn't. Uh, but, that, that, but that's like, that, that's like the Pentagon running thermonuclear war options, right? Yes, exactly. But that plan changed for a couple of reasons, and one of them was, was a tragic reason, which was the death of one of our cast members, John Spencer, who you're about to see uh, in this scene. He did stunning work in the show, uh, won an Emmy, as did Brad, uh, as did Richard, 
uh, was just amazing in every scene, riveting at every read-through, every, every time he said a line in, in, in any form, uh, he was astounding. And, and he was on the Jimmy Smith's side of the campaign. And, and we then had to actually write the character's death into the series and the, the sequence of negative blows to one side was becoming relentless uh, and that made us all switch back toward, okay, wait a minute now, uh, we can't then deliver them this other uh, political death blow after what's happened on that side of it. But, but this, is, this is the Republican who we were contemplating writing a show around and it's a Republican that Trey Grayson knows. It's, it, they're hard to find now, but it is exactly the kind of Republican that I knew uh, when I was working in the United States Senate in the 90s. Uh, I think they're pretty much extinct now for reasons we can discuss later. Uh, but here is Josh going to visit this Republican senator with a scheme of making him the UN ambassador because this will help the Democrats in a variety of ways. He's also a good choice for the job. And let's take a look at what happens. Uh, this is uh, scene five. Every White House forgets about checks and balances. You guys are no different. Checks are fine. It's the witch hunts I got a problem with. You need cordovan for those. Pick up a brush. You're not leaving this room with shoes like that. Here's another check you won't like. I'm going to hold another hearing on your man Margutian taking a marine helicopter to play golf in Florida. Come on, that was over a year ago. We fired the guy. No, this was another incident a year before that one. You really think the American people care about this? Hope not. But I got a dozen members of my committee who do. I think it's a good way to get on TV. You think I like investigating high school stuff like this? Fooled me. Have I ever campaigned saying I was going to be the best investigator in the Senate? Of course not. This isn't what I came here to do. I came here to make this a better government, to make this a better country. And I just wish you guys would stop serving up these goofy things for us to investigate. We've run a pretty tight ship. Yes, you have. Which is why they had to reach back a couple of years to find something new to yell about. But just do me a big favor, will you? No more flag burnings in the White House. I've had four nuts demand hearings on that one already. So? So I told them that the United States Senate does not investigate what happens at kids' birthday parties. Not as long as I have anything to say about it. You decided if you're going to run for another term? Yep. Flying home tonight. Making my announcement tomorrow. Why, you want to make me a retirement offer? Yeah, I happen to have one on me. What have you got? Help the president make the world a better place. You win. That's tempting. It's very tempting. But that's not the job I want. Well, the president didn't send me with a menu of jobs just this morning. The president can't give me the job I want. Which one? His. You're running? Starting tomorrow. You missed a spot on the heel. Okay, uh, John Spencer's not in that scene. He was in a scene attached to it, but I just want to run one more scene as you come to these microphones, forming your questions in your mind, uh, because this scene gives us John Spencer, it gives us Allison Janney, it gives us people who should be here. Uh, Martin Sheen, uh, so let's look at uh, scene number six, and then questions will be taken immediately after that. Every I don't remember the exact words I used. Weather. 
I think you said we could weather this. How is that different from beat the rap? It's completely different. It's not different enough for me to go out there and fight about it. Did you tell him he shouldn't have used White House phones? No, I said, didn't you know the White House keeps records of phone calls? Oh, great, that's completely different. Did you tell him we could say this is a right-wing conspiracy against the White House? Absolutely not. Did you tell him he could deny the whole thing? I asked him if he was in a position to deny it. Okay, um, a couple more things. He says you pressed him for details and he said it's none of your business? Yes. Leo, did you say the woman was a cheap whore and did you suggest she had other customers? No, I said she was a cheap person because she sold her story. What kind of person does something like that? And Mr. President, did you say we've got to start attacking her tonight, right now? No. Anything like that? I think I said something like, if we're going to get him through this, we're going to have to start right now. And I said, since she sold her story, she's not going to have a lot of credibility. Anything else about the woman? Nothing. You sure? Yeah. I'm done. You think he's getting ready to run? Made some calls. He hasn't made any moves on staff yet. Got some calls out to the usual suspects in Iowa and New Hampshire. I'm waiting to hear he's back. He's writing a book. A book? Greg Brock told me. Big advance. Then he's definitely running. He's going to make the book the final word on the scandal, hold his wife's hand on Oprah, and catch the next flight to Iowa. And rewrite history with the book. His own version of every conversation we've ever had with him. Just one of many scenes uh, showing you a, a very simple thing, the difficulty of trying to tell the truth publicly under that kind of microscope. I, but I want to get out of the way now, and I just want to point to people to ask questions beginning right there. Great. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, I, I believe the rule is, Trey, you identify yourself. Is that right? You have to give your real name? Real name. Oh. <laughs> IDs? They have to show IDs? No? Okay. Real name, affiliation, and then a question mark at the end of the words that come after the affiliation. Great. Uh, my name is Harold. I'm a first-year uh, law student at Harvard Law School. And uh, one knock that constantly gets made against Aaron Sorkin is his portrayal and writing of women. And so I was wondering if any of you wanted to weigh in on that, especially in light of the recent popularity of another White House-based show that features what many people consider to be a very powerful uh, woman of color. I think okay. I should answer. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> the most womanly among us wants to answer Janelle, but the whole room just turned to you for this question of Aaron writing women. Uh, me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, you know, I, I don't know. His words are brilliant, and you're a woman that's doing them. And he's not sexist. He loves women. He's just... He's having a good time with a lot of a lot of the gender cliches and um, I mean I don't know it's hard for me to say it was the role of a lifetime it went up down side backwards forwards it touched on everything you'd want to touch on as a woman I, I mean certainly from in West Wing you're not going to find anybody more badass than than C.J. Craig. So I don't know if I look at some of his more recent stuff and it, it's a little different. It's a little more flirty and, and the, the, the women seem a little more coquettish and and a lot more glamorous and sexy. Um, oh, cut it so, out. No, they don't. No, you know don't what be I mean? silly. I think 
that has a, I think that has a lot to do with the, the how television has changed. Um, but I think Aaron writes great female characters. I, I would do, you know, I would do it again in a heartbeat. So I, that's for me. Uh, other people might have another opinion. Uh, let's check if any other women in the cast have a... Yeah. No, you're no, not. Brad, I, listen, I... I um... Brad likes those women just fine. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I agree. I, 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 don't, I you know, name, name a stronger female character than C.J. Craig and uh, the brains, you know, the joke of our relationship was that I was a uh, emotionally constipated, uh, you know, nutcase who was grounded by Donna's wisdom. Mm -hmm. So he was certainly uh, looking at what, at what from the outside was a subservient role, but it was clearly, you know, undermining it. Right here. Uh, I'm Alex Smith. I'm a student at the college, and if I can have a single moment of gushing. The greatest compliment I've ever received. Well, it depends who you're going to gush. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's going to be everyone but you. Oh. <laughs> Make it quick. Sounds good. But Make it quick. But my question is for you. you put a question mark at the end of the gush. <laughs> the greatest compliment I've ever received is that I am close enough to Josh Lyman. The greatest compliment I've ever given to someone is that they're like Donna Moss. And between Toby Ziegler and Sam Seaborn in a, fighter, uh, in a fight, I always pick uh, Toby Ziegler. So I hope that covers everyone except for you. But Mr. O'Donnell, as you mentioned previously, um, part of what you were trying to do in the show was write things before they happened in real time. What was that experience like trying or understanding that you could have some sort of influence based on the popularity of the show on how people viewed what was actually happening in the real world? You know, I, I could be wrong about this, but it never occurred to me that we would have the slightest influence. And, Absolutely. Uh, and it, to me, this was TV drama. And it would be like, it was like asking, well, you know, what influence on jurisprudence do you think uh, law and order is going to have? You know, that, that's the way it felt to me. We're in the same business and we have the same objective, which is the best drama. We did not set out to teach lessons. It, it so happened that when we got into certain issues, we were going to have to teach you something about it. Uh, I had the honor of being the first, and I may remain, uh, the only primetime dramatist to write the debt ceiling into scripts uh, on, on TV. And no one knew what that was, no one. And, uh, and, and so we had to do a little teaching there. But my intent and Aaron's intent whenever we were doing those things was not to teach you about the debt ceiling, it was to have fun in this moment. And because they work here, the joke that Richard Schiff is going to do is about the debt ceiling. And so that's the way we approached it as writers. Uh, and I'd like to ask Richard as an actor, did you feel like you were being given the job of teacher uh, once in a while in, in these scripts? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a great question, by the way. I, I was uh, early on in the show on Bill O'Reilly's show uh, for, re for reasons I, I can't explain. And, um, um, and he said, you know, do you guys, does Aaron particularly, but do you guys have an agenda? Do you have some purpose in, uh, in, uh, in affecting, you know, the politics of this country? And my response was, Aaron is, uh, and we all are artists, and artists have point of view and sometimes social and political point of views, and that's it. I've since changed my mind. Um, after the 2008 election, um, where I, I went around the country to the, the, uh, the Democratic side to all the debates um, leading up to the primary, 
I was surrounded by uh, Obama Army um, foot soldiers, all of whom would say, you're the reason I got into this. You're the reason I'm doing this. Now, and if you look at that election, um, it's the caucus states in which the foot soldiers made a difference that gave Obama the nomination. And I, I actually think that we had a great effect on, on, uh, on, on how people look at policy, especially young people. I didn't, while we were doing the show in 2004, Bush actually won the election, and he actually won by a few points, so I thought we were having a negative effect right. on, <laughs> on, 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 on politics. But I think over the long run, um, uh, I think we did do some teaching, and I think that Aaron, I think Aaron was aware of that. I, uh, could I just say something? I, I, I think that Aaron, Aaron used to always say to us that, and I think it's true, part of what, the thing that made the show work, I think, for Aaron was the collision of this dry arena with a writer who is uh, a desperate traditional showman mm -hmm. who wants to hold your attention and make you laugh um, and uh, give you a really full uh, emotional experience. Uh, at the end of the show, these traditional showbiz values colliding with that material, I, I, I think he was shocked. There, there came a time where like, we got 20 million people to get the bullet points on the uh, argument about head counts versus computer modeling for the decennial census. Mm -hmm. okay. Now we had to get Rob Lowe late in the process, <laughs> but it, it was this powerful... On the, on the show, right? <laughs> as, as an entertainment diversion to this lesson, but is what he means. We, we got lobbied by lobbyists. Lobbyists would come up to me and yeah. want to get their issues on the show. It was strange. Well, my favorite thing about that is I, I once wrote a scene about a base closing commission, which no one understands, uh, and I used an upstate New York base that I used to fight when I was working for the New York Senator to keep open, and Josh Lyman is in a meeting talking about how you can close down that Fort Drum in upstate New York, and then the, the then new senator from New York, Hillary Clinton, writes Josh Lyman a letter lobbying him to not close down that base. Uh, go ahead. Well, wait, wait, I got, I got a story there. We did the episode of, uh, of, of Toby solving Social Security. I had you, Lawrence, and every other consultant we had on the show come and try to explain, me, explain to me uh, what all, this, all these numbers mean. You, did, you made a valiant attempt. I still don't understand it. But I acted as if I solved Social Security. And, um, and I got a letter from uh, delineating 10 reasons. Thank you for... For, for Toby trying, but delineating 10 reasons why my plan won't work, find <laughs> Senator from New York, Hillary Rodham Clinton. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we have another question. Hi, I'm Jennifer Quigley-Jones. I'm a Middle Eastern Studies master's student. Um, I was wondering how you guys felt about House of Cards, and also how you feel about the rise of what's been called stupid political dramas, like Scandal or Veep or whatever. Do you feel superior being like the first Western. What, what about Bradley Whitford gives you the feeling that he could possibly feel superior to any other artist's work? It's the, it, it's the polo uh, shirt, actually. It's the polo top. Uh, 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 Brad, I, I think that was directly to you, that question. It's for everyone. 
No, um, I, 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 listen, I love, uh, I love House of Cards. Um, I, you know, it's funny, because the show would be accused often of it being a fantasy. Um, uh, I got in trouble once for saying, because The Sopranos was on, then I said, no, the, the real fantasy is a hitman in therapy. You know, not that there's a bunch of guys surrounding a president who, who really uh, believe in him. The, the point of view of House of Cards, um, uh, it, it feels a little uh, sinister to me. I mean, it's, it's fun to watch. A little bit. It's fun to watch, but I don't, uh, that's, that's sort of... Uh, uh, brazen manipulation of the system in a, in a cynical way uh, I, I, is not as realistic to me as I think Aaron was trying to write. Now, uh, Janelle and Richard, I have every intention of ducking this question myself, uh, <laughs> comparing <laughs> our work to other shows, but if either one of you would like to get in there and, and talk about whether you feel superior to other shows based <laughs> in Washington, uh, Janelle, feeling superior? Um, no, you know, I feel so, I feel like what, first of all, I love House of Cards, and I think it's like this dark, like this dark, nasty West Wing. I think it's a lot of fun. I really, I really like it. Um, but I, um, I feel like it was so superior to 90% of things that are on television or in the movie theaters now that I just feel kind of shocked that we were, that we all got to do it. Because if we were going to try to do this again, it wouldn't even get on the air. Um, I saw John Wells recently, and he said if he was trying to make West Wing today, he wouldn't get any any actor through the network. He wouldn't get he wouldn't get the show made or bought ever. And so I feel really I just feel like we were on it. We did a superior, wonderful show. But I think I mean God bless all those other shows. It's it's great. Everyone's. I love Kerry Washington. I, they're just all doing a different thing, you know? And uh, to, to John Wells, uh, it's worth noting, he was the executive producer. Uh, he had been running ER for years when Aaron Sorkin partnered with him as an executive producer to get the West Wing done. Uh, West Wing got on the air because of the muscle of John Wells. The network actually rejected the pilot script when they got it from Aaron, and John stayed with it, and a year later got the network to make the pilot Go ahead, Brent. Yeah, I, I, I just want you to know the idiotic note. Um, John was so important in this show. For all seven years. For yeah. uh, using his swing to protect uh, Aaron. Uh, and uh, it, it, go, it goes to a real problem in Hollywood. They should be terrified, all those development people in Hollywood. If anybody had any idea that the West Wing was going to be a quarter as successful as it was, Aaron would not have written it. This cast would not have been in it. Sopranos. If anybody had any idea that thing was going to work, David Chase would not have been in it. We never would have met James Gandolfini. Breaking Bad. If anybody had any idea that thing was going to work, Vince wouldn't have written it. Brian wouldn't have been in it. Uh, House of Cards. Meaning that the, the, the executives developed. would have stuffed it with stars. Yeah, yeah. yeah or, they, or they would have, non-storytellers would have gotten in there. The note that they gave Aaron, which made Aaron go, I don't want to ever take a note again, was 
in the pilot, Rob and I were uh, monitoring a raft of Haitian refugees. And the big note from development at NBC was, why do we care about these guys? I mean, I think we need to get uh, Brad and Rob in the water, saving them, like Rahm Emanuel. <laughs> Rahm Emanuel in a Speedo, like saving a Haitian baby. And it was like, idiotic. And uh, uh, John protected us from that crap. Yep, yep. Uh, here, here's a very quick one. I left the West Wing for two years after the first two years, created another show uh, about a United States senator starring Josh Brolin. We were about th three episodes into the writing. We hadn't yet gotten on the air. And the network loved the first two scripts. The third script, I get a call uh, from the very top of the network. Uh, and I can tell he's in the car. You can hear that. And he says, you know, there's just too much politics in this show. There's just too much politics in this show. Now, when you're doing a political show and the network says to you there's too much politics in this show, and this is the only show business advice I'm going to give you, you know what you say? Here's what you say. You say, uh-huh. That's all you say. You didn't say anything. You didn't say okay. I get it. Uh, Richard, do you have uh, have you been watching any of the other Washington-based shows? Do you have any comment about them? Um, I, I, uh, you know, we're we're going to the University of Chicago in a couple of weeks, and Lawrence, I hope you can make it. I think Brad's going to do a similar symposium, but specifically about this subject. I had not seen either House of Cards or Scandal until they asked me to come there. And um, uh, I have to go because my son's going to that school, and that's why they asked me. Um, so I started, I just now started to watch Scandal. I saw the pilot when it came out, and I thought, oh, this is, this is Macbeth. I get it. And um, uh, I, I thought it was really well done and, and, and so on, but I had no real interest to continue watching. Since, since the last couple of weeks, I've seen about five or six of them, and I think it's brilliant. Um, I specifically love Robin Wright, who, um, uh, because she is finding the gray matter between the morality of that show and her own conscience, which I don't think any other character is doing. And uh, I find her particularly fascinating. But, um, uh, you know, the show seems to me to be an anti-Westland. You know, I mean, it seems to be the absolute opposite and very legitimately. You know, I think, I think we were a fantasy as Brad says, and I think one of the remarkable things and achievements that Aaron uh, was able to accomplish, and we all, I guess, were able to accomplish, is that we made uh, good people interesting and, and dramatic. Uh, and I think that's very, very hard to do. Bad people are much more interesting dramatically because they create conflict just by being alive. And, and that's Kevin Spacey's character. So there's all sorts of great, dynamic, Shakespearean, soap opery moments um, because this guy is ambitious and he's willing to kill. And um, we weren't. So our problems were much more difficult and therefore much more difficult for, the, for you writers to create great stories. And that we were successful at that, I think, is remarkable. Yeah, here, here's how difficult that was. I remember walking across the Warner Brothers lot one, once we'd written four of these and we had just heard the read-through of the fourth from these great actors, and I said to Rick Cleveland, who's one of the first-year writers on the show, uh, okay, so by now, meaning by the time the audience has seen all four of these, um, 
They're on to us. They've now seen four hours of this, and nothing happens. There's no baby dying in the emergency room. No one murders anybody. Nobody's facing the death penalty in a courtroom. Not one of the conventions of hour-long television drama exists in this show, and they may have thought it's kind of interesting because of these rooms it happens in, but right about here, episode four, is where we lose them. This is where they give up because they know that none of those things that they see in all the other shows are gonna happen here. And we don't, we will never do those things. And the audience showed up about two weeks later in big numbers. Now because I did not take the moderating course when I went to this college, I didn't know until right now that there's two microphones up here on the second level that I've ignored the whole time. I just thought you were so interested you were standing. Um, but it's your turn to talk, and it's been your turn to talk for like 20 minutes. Go ahead. Uh, my name is Ben Bolger, and I'm a Harvard alum. Um, I was very curious, um, the dynamic between Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. After, the, after President Obama won, uh, Hillary Clinton became Secretary of State. It was very interesting, as the West Wing series began to wind down, the tension between Jimmy Smits and Alan Alden um, kind of played itself out in a curiously similar way. I'm wondering if you could talk about the development and discussions that you had that might have foreshadowed real life in that regard. Well, the episode you're talking about is Jimmy has won the presidency, Alan Alda is the defeated Republican candidate, and it's always fascinated me how these people, when they lose, they just drop off the planet. I mean, I've never been with a presidential candidate after they've lost, so I don't know what their lives are like, and I, and I had to imagine that. Uh, and we started working down that road. That episode be begins with Alan Alda just, you know, a couch potato, like can't leave his house. He's just totally depressed and doesn't know how to function. And it ends with Jimmy uh, offering him Secretary of State because he believes he's the best person for the job. It's something you've seen since then, uh, Barack Obama offering a Republican Secretary of Defense twice now. Uh, and it was something we hadn't seen in a while at the time that I wrote it, but I knew it, it was a possibility. And, uh, and it, made, uh, it made just perfect sense for this. And, and uh, it, was, it was one of the things, one of the very few things that I did in the show where I got a very specific response the next day from old hands in Washington who really loved that. They just loved because they knew that's actually the way it's supposed to work. Right, right there. Hi, my name is David, oh, is this on? Yeah, okay. Hi, my name is David Clifton. I'm a freshman at the college. This is for anyone who wants to answer it. I was just wondering, what did you do to prepare for your roles and how much access did you have to the White House and like the people you were actually portraying and what was that like? Let's go with Brad to start with. Um, uh, I have to say, uh, all, uh, George, George Stephanopoulos' book, All Too Human, should be renamed everything Brad needs to know to do this part. <laughs> I mean, it, it had just come out and it was sort of a perfect, um, uh, a, a, a perfect just basket of information. As the show became successful, uh, I, I find it so bizarre, the access that Hollywood gets you is, you know, in doing research for things, I've, I, I've been in surgery, you know, because the doctor's like, oh, you're in Hollywood, yeah, yeah, come in, come in. <laughs> you know, I've sat next to judges when they sentence people to life in prison, oh, Hollywood, come here, you know, I, it's unbelievable. 
There was a funny story. Uh, um, Josh Bolton, we were shooting at the White House, and I knew the Secret Service guys, and I'm going in and out the gate, and Josh Bolton, the real Deputy Chief of Staff, is coming into work. Uh, they wave me through, and they stop Josh, and they search. <laughs> search it's like, Hollywood, come on in, come on in. Uh, but we got a lot of, we got a lot of, a lot of help. But you know, the big, uh, the thing that we were focused on uh, is, is the acting. Uh, um, uh, the, the research. Uh, we were trying to learn our lines, Brad. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. we had to memorize <laughs> those lines first. Uh, Richard, do you want to talk about your preparation for the role and what you knew about Washington before you took the role and then what you learned? Sure. The, the only time I uh, had seen Washington before was uh, uh, 1969 or 1970 when I went down as a young teenager to uh, demonstrate against the war moratorium. I had only seen Washington through the fog of uh, tear gas and had no idea that it was actually a beautiful city until we went back to shoot there many years later. Um, so I... I, I, it's, it's interesting that uh, what different books affect uh, our characters because it, it's appropriate, I think. I read Stephanopoulos' book, and the book that influenced me more was David Gergen's book. And it's funny because I think Toby is probably more like David Gergen and, and, and Josh more like Stephanopoulos. Um, uh, the, all the books were great. Some of the films about the making of the Clinton uh, campaign, uh, that film was very helpful. And we had great access uh, to anyone we wanted to get get to, as, as Brad said. But the, the most important thing that was said to me that defined my character was having a conversation with Dee Dee Myers, and, uh, who, had, who had lasted about six months as the first press secretary with Clinton. And um, she told me the story where she was um, in, in the Oval Office as a senior advisor and, and had a very important, uh, a, a very... Uh, um, strong opinion about something, which I don't even remember what it was. And, and she got to the president, and the president agreed with her. And the next day, she saw headlines in every newspaper on the newsstand from all over the world with her opinion uh, as the headline. You know, not stated as her opinion, but stated as the uh, president's uh, policy. And I thought, and she said, oh my God, I just then realized the power of my position and its burden. And that landed on my shoulders very, very heavily. And I realized if it was me, if I had this responsibility, um, carrying around uh, the burden of people's lives on my shoulders, it would make me very heavy. It's one of the reasons why Toby got a little bit dark and a little and felt burdened all the time was because of that conversation with Dee Dee. It's just, if I walked around with whether people lived or died, whether we sent them to war or not, whether uh, they were able to eat that night, whether they were able to stay in their homes or not, um, it would make it a very, very long and difficult day for me. And, that's, uh, and so it affected uh, Toby very deeply. Uh, Janelle, did anyone you met in the real White House uh, in any way give you a key to your character? You know, it, it wasn't somebody that I met. It was an, a story that Aaron told me um, early on which was, um, which it's funny, I had already decided this when I auditioned for the part, in a way, but, um, but he said that I'm, he said, you know, I met um, George Stephanopoulos' um, uh, assistant, and when he, he, he met her, he said, so you work for the president? And she said, no, 
I don't work for the president, I work for George. And I thought, oh, okay, there you go. That, that I could put that in my pocket and carry that through eight years. Um, because, and it was, I think, such a success in the show. My, my character was because it was so uniquely personal. Um, I mean, all the characters had these personal elements, but, but this particular character, it, she really wasn't really about politics as much as she was about her boss and, um, and a certain fairness. So, and she was, you really needed the character because she was learning on the job, learning on her feet. So it was pretty easy for me because I didn't have to come in as these guys did with this idea that I was very, um, that my character was super knowledgeable and, and kind of had this background. So, um, you know what I mean, Lawrence? It was yes, just I like do, a little yeah. bit and easier. It was great to have someone who we had to explain things to at first, but the learning curve, if you watch the learning curve of Donna, it's like a rocket, it's straight up. She's explaining very quickly. Go ahead, right there. Uh, hi, my name is Jake, and I'm a junior at the college. And I guess the other main knock against the West Wing was that it was too idealistic, or that its characters were too idealistic, uh, or that things work out too well in a Washington where things very rarely work out well. Uh, and I'm thinking especially of Toby's speech to the congressman, who's also a history teacher, uh, about the Three-Fifths Compromise. And so I was wondering, in the writer's room, how do you go about balancing those speeches that melt the hearts of the audience with trying to keep it a realistic portrayal of Washington, which very rarely melts people's Well, I'll tell you something. It, it, it was very difficult to do because the for one basic reason of that is the actors were so great. I mean, you look at that scene we just showed you with Toby and the president. It's about Toby's disappointment in the president, and nobody notices that because the audience isn't yeah. catching that. It's because, they, it's because by this time, the audience loves this guy who's president, uh, and the audience loves this guy who's talking to him who's disappointed in him. And there's nothing you can do uh, about the charisma of actors. Uh, Coppola talked about this when he made The Godfather. He said, you know, I thought I was making a movie about these bad guys. I, I didn't realize they were gonna fall in love with Marlon Brando, and they're gonna fall in love with Pacino the, because of this amazing uh, chemistry and charisma that they have. But it was, that was pretty much impossible to overcome. There's a question right behind you, and that's gonna be- Wait, wait, uh, Lawrence, Go ahead, Richard, go ahead. Well. Go okay. ahead, Richard. Um, I, I, I always respond to that by, by, by asking people to look at the, uh, at the accomplishments, the actual accomplishments of the Bartlett administration. Yeah. And one of the reasons why Toby was disappointed with the president on a regular basis was that I, I would, I would, I would um, uh, push for that storyline. I would push for the storyline of Toby going at one point, I think there was a speech with he and Leo, where he goes, where, where's, our, where's our, our, our legacy? What, how are we going to leave? Where's our great society? Where, where's our new deal? You know, if you look at what we actually accomplished, it isn't a lot. As Lauren says, it, it, the show is about disappointment and about compromise more than it was about victory. All we achieved was putting a uh, Hispanic in the Supreme Court, some vague Social Security thing, and not a, a lot of fallout. The rest was just putting it together with uh, Band-Aids and glue. Yeah, uh, there's just one more question coming. I'm just going to add one thing about this. That scene we showed you about Josh and Donna when, they're pull when Donna pulls them into the closet, they're talking about a health care plan that the president abandoned, just dropped, uh, that was a kind of good, solid health care plan, and this guy was part of guiding him to dropping it and giving up on it. And so I don't know that you could have asked for more realism in that moment, in, in, in my view, but the audience wasn't catching 
all these realism point, points that I was making sure were in there because these guys aren't miracle workers. Go ahead. By the way, by go, the way, in go. five episodes of House of Cards, Kevin Spacey's characters had, had more victories than seven years of Toby. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is going to be the last question. Hi, I'm Simon. I'm a senior at the college. I'm just wondering what all of your experiences were in the seasons after Aaron and Tommy left the show, um, if there was like an, a change you saw as actors and, or as a writer, um, and how the show was, man er, was able to carry on after that. Brad, go first. Uh, when Aaron left, it was a shock. Uh, you know, I remember thinking, uh, feeling like, uh, you know, a Branch Davidian and David Koresh left. You know, it was like. You want to think of another example? Take your time. Um, it, 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 was, uh, it was shocking. Um, Aaron, here's another bad metaphor. I always make this joke. Aaron, because of his tremendous gifts, um, I, I used to joke, I mean, you were just waiting for this guy to, to Come, uh, you know, bring these scripts down. That, uh, that it was just an incredible outpouring of amazing writing, uh, and you know, we would walk around uh, saying, uh, you know, he's lost, he's lost. I, I, I felt like it was a great show about democracy, kind of run by Kim Jong Il. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, it's like, the great leader does not have, you know, act three yet. <laughs> oh, the great leader has it. Let's say the words perfectly. Mm -hmm. uh, it, 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 was, uh, it was shocking uh, and terrifying uh, to lose him. I think John, uh, John Wells, who took over um, very uh, graciously, uh, would admit that he felt the first year that he took over was a tough year because he was trying to continue to make it uh, an Aaron Sorkin show. I think then, it, in the subsequent years, it found its own different identity and different process. Can you agree with that? Yeah. Janelle, go ahead. Um, you know, uh, Aaron is a total genius, and that first four years was extraordinarily exciting and, and heady, and, and, you know, we all sat there, and I, and I think, I mean, I speak for myself, I, I was the only one that actually probably cried, but I think everybody wanted to cry in the meeting where they, you know, mom and dad, Tommy Shlami and Aaron Sorkin told us they're, they're leaving, and, I cried. and we were just... Devastated. We were really How was that different devastated. from any other? Oh, yeah, I, cr I cried every day. Sorry, Janelle, go ahead. And, but, um, but that said, it was also, you know, after four years, it was getting to be, it was a lot of, uh, it was just a lot of, um, it was an intense experience that, that um, became a little calmer uh, after, be, just because, um, John had a, a big group of writers, and it was, a, it was a little more organized. So that was a different kind of culture that just happened. Um, the, and, and it was, um, John is so very good at his job, and, and he also was there from the beginning. So it's not like some new guy came over and took over. It was like, it was already this person that we really loved and trusted. Um, and 
and there were all, already writers that were writing on the show aside from Aaron. So to me, it it was it was okay. Um, and there are people that say to me, they say, you know, oh, I'm the biggest West Wing fan in the world, and they're getting all they're geeking out and getting all you know teary eyed and talking about how much they love the show, and then they say. And then I find out in the conversation, oh, I stopped watching after Aaron left. And I said, then you are not a real West Wing fan, you know, because you have to know, you have to love the characters and see what happens. So I, I think the show is terrific for uh, all the way to the end. You know, we had our bumpy years, but I thought it was pretty great. I remember uh, John Wells, uh, imagine having to follow Aaron and he himself, uh, he's going to write the first script. But at the read-through, he said, I feel like Ethel Merman's understudy. Mm -hmm. uh, Richard Schiff, your reaction to Aaron leaving at the end of the fourth season, along with Tommy Schlamme, who was the brilliant director who gave you the pilot of the West Wing, who guided all of the other directors who came through the show for those first four years. That and, show would and not the, have happened the, without Tommy. And the director Emmys no, were, were all thanks to Tommy. He wasn't the only one who won one. Uh, but that was a work of utter brilliance. I, I read the script. I remember reading the script a year before the pilot was made. I, I read it. NBC had the script. And then a year later, the pilot's made, and I see what Tommy did to that script with these genius artists on screen. And I was stunned because this brilliant script then just became this astonishingly better show, uh, thanks to Tommy. Richard Schiff, uh, your reaction at the end of season four when, when they left? Yeah, I was waiting for the question mark. Was that it? <laughs> um, yes. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny you just mentioned Tommy because I just saw him yesterday because I, I went to Santa Fe where I'm doing a, another project uh, based on the Manhattan Project. And uh, Tommy's directing that. And Dave Kamides, who was our brilliant um, city cam operator, is there shooting that show. Um, and uh, it was just a great reunion. Tommy and I have worked together a couple of times since the West Wing. And he is a, he is a confidant of mine. He's, he happens to be utterly brilliant. He was an ear uh, that would uh, take my concerns directly to Aaron if I didn't have access to Aaron. I felt he was a, an incredible collaborator for this particular um, problem of Toby, which was, who was a kind of complex and dark and oddly put together character and, and I had a lot of concerns for him. And having Aaron and Tommy around for those four years, um, you know, a perfect example was the, uh, the, um, the episode of uh, the homeless uh, uh, Korean war veteran uh, for which uh, Aaron uh, won an Emmy and I think I won an Emmy for that episode. Um, it started out written by a wonderful writer named Rick Cleveland who's now working on House of Cards and it was a very, very different episode that actually got me very upset because I didn't think Toby was captured in the right way. But I got really upset to the point where it appears and uh, Tommy and Aaron came down and we all talked about it and the three of us collaborated to create one of the favorite shows of, of the, of the seven-year run. And it was part, partly because of that collaboration and their willingness to listen um, and, and create stuff together and take nothing for granted. And it's why I love working with them so much. So when they left, it was heartbreaking for me um, because I felt like I was left alone flailing with this character. And, you know, Lawrence, you, you got Toby and Eli, Addie, and a couple of others. I don't think 
John got him, and I don't think, you know, I, so I think Kobe was kind of left flailing out to sea after season four. And, and so I have a very different opinion of those last three years, as you can tell. Um, but I thought it was a valiant effort on John's part and on everyone's part to maintain um, the quality, which was, uh, you know, near brilliance every week with Aaron and Tommy around. And we, were, we came close to that a number of times after they left. But it was a very different experience for me. It was very, very tough for me. But I, I applaud their effort. You know, I'm, I'm glad that that last question was about Aaron and about Aaron leaving because Aaron, you know, created by is a very, it's the most important credit in a show. Nothing would happen without that creator. He, he was extraordinary uh, in what he did. And I was, Donnell's got two kids at home who are just out of control. Um, I was outside the walls. I was outside the walls of Warner Brothers on the day that happened. Uh, I was working on another show on the Universal lot and I think I talked to just about everybody on the show uh, when that happened. They, a lot of calls going back and forth. The first call I got was from John Wells saying, I really need you back here. Uh, and I really need you back here You know, if, if your show's canceled, which he already knew was going to be canceled. And, uh, and I didn't want to go back because I'd done that show before. Uh, but then I realized, no, I didn't. I did Aaron's show before. Uh, this is going to be a completely new thing. And so I did it under the crazy genius regime of Aaron Sorkin with my office right beside Aaron's, uh, you know, for that first year. And, and then I went back into this other thing where John Wells just made it run like a Swiss train, just this, all this incredible training he has as a producer. And he did this incredibly brave thing as a writer that none of us wanted to do. He wrote the first two episodes in the first season after Aaron left. None of us wanted to get up to bat as writers uh, in the shadow of Aaron. Uh, and I was the laziest of them all. I didn't get up, I, didn't, I don't think I wrote anything until about episode 12. Uh, and then, you know, I'm doing this show on MSNBC and every once in a while there's a point to be made by using a West Wing clip and I love to see my old friends on screen and so I do that. And there was a night, uh, I don't know, t maybe a year and a half ago, it's all a blur to me, uh, when I put on a clip of, of something that I'd written, uh, and Aaron saw it because he watches my show a lot, and he emailed me. What I already knew is that Aaron never watched the show after he left, and he, he let us all know that. He never watched it. And so he emailed me saying again, you know, I've never watched the show since I left. And so I'd never seen that scene that you just showed, you know, that, that you wrote. And I have saved this email because I want it to appear in whatever size obituary I get. Because it's Aaron Sorkin with the most beautiful generosity about what he saw in that scene, fully perceptive of what I was trying to do. It's the greatest artistic compliment I've gotten in the area of TV writing. And so uh, I'm glad that this discussion began with Aaron Sorkin created by On the Screen. I'm glad that you brought him up uh, as our way to close this. None of us would be here without him. Uh, I think all of us would work with him again in a minute uh, mm -hmm. if, if we had uh, a chance to do so. Uh, and I want to thank Bradley Whitford for being here on campus. I want to thank Janelle Maloney for keeping those kids quiet in New York for this entire discussion. Thank you, Richard Schiff from the Makeup Trailer or wherever you are in San Francisco for joining us. Thank you, Harvard, for having us. Thank you very much. Thank you.
Thanks, guys. Good time. I got to go. Both. I get to do this every day.